Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Man, it is a good week, Tyler. We're jumping into a great week. Uh, we were just down in Galveston, Texas at the Texas chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation meeting last week. What a great meeting that was. Killer, as always. Great luncheon. Uh, gotta say, Texas chapter of the ASBPA throws a great Galveston meeting there at the at the convention center uh host of the last of last year's asbpa conference it's right it's a, it's a really good space jerry moan shout out to jerry moan the president of the texas chapter of asbpa who did such a great job setting that meeting it was a packed house there were more than 200 people at that meeting it was a great meeting and we're going to be talking about that and we've also got an interview with the, the texas land commissioner george p bush yeah. uh, coming up shortly but before uh, we get into this substance, Peter. Let's uh, have a quick word from our sponsor. Well, the sponsor that is uh, been near and dear to all of us at Coastal News Today and, uh, and the American Shoreline Podcast Network is the National ASBPA, the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, headed by Derek Brockbank. Uh, well, their national conference is coming up in October, Tyler. That's right, and we are thrilled to be the exclusive podcasting partner of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association National Conference in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to mess that one up. Yeah. Uh, hot tip, register now. It's cheaper. And uh, a, a notice to professionals and students who want to participate in the poster competition. Get your abstracts in Applications are due September 6th, so uh, waste no time. Get not, that sucker in. Not, not too late to, to get a poster in. Professionals and students, uh, the conference is October 22nd to 25th in Myrtle Beach, as Tyler said. And also the September 6th deadline for all of you university professors out there and grad students, uh, the... The competition for ASBPA student awards at the graduate and undergraduate level are open. These, there are three awards that you can uh, nominate someone for. These come with cash prizes and a one-year internship, at least a re working relationship with the professionals at ASBPA. It's a really cool thing to get into. Right. And I just have to say that uh, make sure you apply, nominate your students, uh, right. get your poster stuff in. The poster thing is, is one of my favorite parts of the conference. I'm now on record saying this on every well, it's promotion true. we do, it, but it, it is true. It is true. It's a great setup. You know, the guys are there, the young professionals are there with their work. You get a chance to dive in. It's kind of a lot for a lot of these students, first time at a professional conference. And for those of us who are kind of nerdy, to be able to look at a scientific poster with a glass of wine, right. talk to this kid about... Right. I shouldn't say kid. I no, mean, we these shouldn't are, say these that. Are, young these young are professionals at ASBPA. Incredibly, uh, yeah, bright, uh, young pros, uh, students, but uh, completely fantastic. We look forward to seeing you there. We will be podcasting from the event. So go to ASBPA.org slash conferences and get registered. Get registered and get in your nominations for the student awards at ASBPA. And we'll all see you in Myrtle Beach coming up October 22nd to 25th. All right, Peter. So before we get into the George P. Bush interview, which yeah. is awesome and can't wait to transition over to that. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh, some of the cool news stories that you have uh, uncovered this week. Well, yeah, last week, if you were following on Coastal News Today, a lot of great news stories uh, up on the website. Find it at CoastalNewsToday.com. But one of the big things that we're tracking is the effort by both members of the uh, United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives, the Gulf Coast state legislators, who are working to reform the GOMESA law, this is the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act. It's a mouthful, but let me tell you what it really is about. For the Gulf states, this is a, a statute that shares revenue from offshore oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico with the four Gulf states, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, and Alabama. Florida is not a participant in this because they don't allow uh, offshore oil and gas off of Florida. But these revenues are significant in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They're super important. They fund coastal restoration, shoreline management, sea level rise adaptation, all kinds of really critical programs on the Gulf of Mexico. 
And look, the senators and legislators from the Gulf states are saying, if you're an inland state, there are federal revenue sharing statutes that govern the uh, development of oil and gas on federal inland lands, federal property, Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Forest Service land, whatever it might be. And those inland states get a greater share, a greater proportion of the royalty share. And the Gulf states are saying, hey, treat us like the inland states. And this needs to be reformed. It's important as hell to the Gulf Coast states. So we're big fans of this GOMISA reform uh, process. And we're going to be following that statute closely both in the House and the Senate. And uh, so if you're on Coastal News today, you'll be up to speed on when those bills are moving through committee and what to do to help them out. Yeah, and this is kind of a relatively new uh, funding stream on for coastal uh, Gulf coastal states and counties because a portion of this money goes straight into at the county level, right? Which is kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, we're tracking it because it's a it's a brand new, relatively new. What we're in the third year? Well, I believe. It, yeah, it's been. It was around on a fairly small level that was almost did not register. Yeah, minuscule, minuscule level for years and years until 2016. They reformed it. It was called the Gomisa Phase Two, where real dollars are coming into Texas. The state of Texas this fiscal year received $50 million. Last year, I believe it was $42 million. Louisiana has a greater share, but it, you could imagine a recurrent, steady injection, a predictable and reliable injection of revenue that is dedicated to coastal properties and, and projects. And that's what's important about GOMISA is you can't get it in, and use it to pay for you know, government programs or bills for the state or things like that. It is dedicated to the coast, and what it means is states can handle big projects. They can, they can rely on recurrent funding, absolutely essential, and uh, uh, GOMISA. So, uh, you know, a shout-out to Senator Bill Cassidy, who's the chair of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee in the Senate and is a leading sponsor along with Lisa Murkowski uh, from uh, – she is – Murkowski's from – is it Alaska – is yeah, it Alaska? Yeah, I think okay. she's from Alaska. And the other senators and on the House side. So uh, we'll be tracking that. Hard closely. to keep all those senators straight, I find. There's a bunch. There's about a hundred of them. We need Derek or Howard or Dan to help us out with that. <laughs> Shout out to our D.C. hosts. Uh, <laughs> now, Pete, Le- Le- Lisa Murkowski, Senator Murkowski, is from Alaska, and she's joined on that bill by Bill Cassidy from Louisiana and uh, John Kennedy, another uh, senator from uh, from the other senator from uh uh, from Louisiana, and and uh, Senator uh, Wicker, Wicker from Mississippi, and uh, Senator Jones from Alabama, noticeably missing on the on the Senate co-sponsor leadership uh, on this issue is the Texas senators John Cornyn and Ted Cruz, and it would be great if Senator Cruz and Senator Cornyn uh, took notice and put their name behind this Gomisa reform legislation in the Senate. It's a great idea, and it needs to be done. All right, enough lobbying for this show. Let's talk. I want. I know what I wanted to mention though when we're talking about Gomisa, is that uh, I ran a story. Uh, goodness, within the past two weeks for for certain, and it was that the global there's this thing in offshore energy that uh, folks should know about. It's called the rig count. Oh yeah, the rig and, count. And the course. rig count is kind of a cool way to think about uh, offshore oil production. Um, and uh, the rig count. Year over year, for the from July 2018 to July 2019, was up 45 rigs. We put 45 more rigs out there globally. Right. Uh, and I don't have any of the details in front of me right now to tell you where they are and what the nature of the rigs are. But uh, the rig count is up by 45. Uh, and we know that Texas is the largest oil and gas uh, producing state and that the United States is the world's greatest exporter of well, oil and gas number one producer of oil and gas and, in the world excuse me. is the united states and, of yeah producer yeah. so uh and and you bet that that a good chunk of that oil is coming from uh offshore sources so uh gomisa is going to be it seems like flushed full of cash here it could be i mean the the uh the bureau of offshore energy management uh boehm has opened up the entire gulf of mexico for leasing uh, all of the remaining lands, I want to say 78 million acres, those of you out there listening who may know that detail, call me and correct me. I think it's 78 million additional acres in the Gulf of Mexico open for oil and gas leasing right now. 
Uh, but it's complicated. The environmental community along the Gulf of Mexico has filed suit to try to block those lease sales. Uh, you can read about that on, if you're a Coastal News Today reader, you'll, you would know about that. We cover the energy industry in Coastal News Today. But I think uh, the foreseeable future is that oil and gas development in the Gulf of Mexico under the Trump administration is going to go up and not down, which means that the Gomisa revenue sharing for the Gulf states is likely to be expanded uh, that Gomisu appropriation goes to 2055. So that's what, 35 years from now. If you're a state with that kind of revenue stability, you can really take on uh, long-term strategic projects uh, because of Gomisa. So I'm just a big fan of the, uh, the effort in the Senate, in the House to expand uh, and make fair to the Gulf states the kind of revenue sharing that the inland states in the United States get on oil and gas revenue. So uh, good work by the folks in the Senate and the House, and let's see if that can get passed. All right. Well, uh, boy, we're this is kind of a Gulf Coasty show, it uh, is. which is fine. You know, we love the Gulf Coast, so uh, we uh, were able to attend last week an inter- a, a meeting in Galveston uh, with uh, some of our good old friends from the Army Corps of Engineers, right? Uh, who are planning the Texas Coastal uh, Protection project and plan yeah uh kelly burks copes was there our audience will remember her uh the new uh colonel for the galveston district Tim presented Vail. yeah and gave some really interesting remarks so uh, we mentioned earlier it's a great event uh, again hat tip to jerry moan and the texas chapter of the asbpa uh packed house and there's a reason why it's a packed house peter there are some real serious items on that agenda there are and i think uh Meeting Tim Vale for me was a highlight. Uh, totally. Let's what, talk about Tim. I think this is an important thing. Colonel Vale come, came to the Galveston District from the Walla Walla District up in the Pacific Northwest where he was running a, a core division or district that was highly involved in the management, of course, of the Columbia River hydropower system, big-time federal contracts, lots of complex environmental issues in that part of the world. He's from Spring, Texas. I think he, I can't remember his high school. He mentioned it. Was it Colleen High School? I don't. School? That I sound, sounds Klein, familiar. I forget. Yeah, but totally. He's from Texas. Uh, he was a University of Notre Dame graduate in environmental science. Uh, he has uh, then went on to Texas A&M in engineering. Uh, he comes with a very interesting perspective as a longtime Texas coastal resident, a, a hunter and fisherman on the Texas coast for his whole life. And now he's leading the Galveston District that has billions of dollars at its disposal for the Coastal Protection and Restoration Plan that they're putting together. And Kelly Burks Copes, as you recall, Dr. Copes, who was on ASPN uh, back, I think it was in April, uh, is leading that project. She was there. So the meeting that Jerry Moe put together for the Texas chapter of ASBPA was outstanding. Colonel Vale was there. Dr. Uh, Kelly Burks Copes was there, their subpoena uh, pass project manager uh, as well. So all of the major projects on the Texas coast were represented and discussed at the meeting. It was, it was very informative. As it was a, it, it was, was a good. big was, time. I mean, was this good. was a, it's safe to say that it was a heavy lunch. It was a heavy lunch. It was, there was not a lot of light. Yeah. There were a lot of power. They also served burgers, yeah, which they, was a heavy uh, component, but <laughs> with Mac and cheese. Well, they had, you know, when you're in Texas, they, well, they you know. had the burgers, but they also had the chicken sandwich. You could get a chicken sandwich and then they had the sausage, but yeah, no, there was I would not love, a lot of, I don't, was there a salad? Yes, there was, but there it was, was a po- slaw. There was potato salad. It was a slaw and a potato salad. <laughs> I gained weight sitting there listening to these PowerPoint presentations from the core. Uh, it'll slow your metabolism. <laughs> it was a heavy <laughs> lunch, but uh, oh, the shoot. presentations were great, were and great. I have to say, um, really looking forward to uh, having Colonel Vale on uh, the podcast network. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting guy for a, a number of reasons, but what struck me is his rhetoric about uh, the Corps' approach, yeah. um, about mother nature and the planet and you know a, a couple times he he Pretty reiterated this he reiterated this point that the chief engineer is actually the environment um which is a f- really interesting a rather uh, humble statement for a core colonel i thought yeah yeah truly and he, in fact he he referenced some you know being up there in walla walla where 
um, the core has left a legacy that's really mixed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, po- yeah. politically up there. And he right. ha- he's he got through that and has learned from that. And he, he made a point of saying so much. And I'm really looking forward to having him on. He's an interesting person. He's truly a lover of the Texas coast, as you yeah. said. He it's not it's personal for him in, in a deep, deep way. Right. Um, and so it was just an absolutely uh, great opportunity to hear him speak. Well, he's a he's a good pick for the Galveston district with his uh, Texas roots and his experience in major uh, federal project manager up in the Pacific Northwest, the Columbia River hydropower dam system, as he said, the largest. And I, this is an interesting fact. He said the largest structure on the planet, and he was referring to Grand Coulee Dam, which is the largest dam on the Columbia River system. And I think that at one time Grand Coulee was the largest dam structure on the planet. I'm wondering, though, if that has been supplanted in China by the Yellow River Dam project, uh, which was you know, completed in the last five years, I think. Um, but anyway, they, let's just say he's used to big-time issues, big-time projects, and very complex environmental issues. Uh, you can't have a more one, – one of the most complex, I think, environmental challenges is the uh, restoration and management of the Columbia River salmon runs through this system of hydropower dams that have been built since the 30s on that river, and they spend billions a year – Uh, trying to keep those salmon runs alive so he comes to back to texas as he said returning home he referred to himself as the prodigal son coming back to texas a few times uh he looked like a pretty straight shooting guy uh, but clearly well educated well qualified and i think uh, it'll be interesting he's got a three-year tenure in galveston so we're going to get to see what he does uh with these billions of dollars that have been put in the hands of the galveston district uh, and see how he can manage the complicated projects that are coming up on the Texas coast. Never heard a core colonel quite sound like Colonel Vale, so it'd be interesting to to dive in more. Yeah. Now, before we get to the George P. Bush interview, Peter, yep. let's uh, let's quickly kind of prime the pump for our listeners and talk a little bit about what is going on. Set the set the stage here. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to hand this over to you, but. We're coming off the legislative session, which is every two years here in Texas, and George uh, George P. as we call him, yeah, George, George P. Bush. Yep. Went, this is Jeb's son. By this the is way, for, for the audience out there. Right. This is Jeb Bush's son. Yes, and he is the the land commissioner of Texas. And um, Peter, explain why the land commissioner is important for the Texas. Well, coast. Uh, it, it, in Texas, the land commissioner, first of all, is a statewide elected official. So I would imagine, and he is the head of the, uh, the state coastal program. Uh, the land office, of course, manages all the state-owned property, including the submerged lands of Texas out to three marine leagues, which is a, about out to 10 miles. So the land office is the lead coastal management agency. They have substantial responsibility for the oil spill program uh, along the coast. They handle the Coastal Erosion Planning and Response Act, all of the erosion projects. They are the federal partner on a lot of core shore protection projects. So this is our, uh, if it was in Louisiana, it would be our CPRA. Uh, and, and we have our coastal program at the state of Texas level is, is, is run by an elected official, which is, I think, the, probably the only one in the United States. But uh, George P. has got a lot of responsibility. Uh, the big accomplishment, I think, in the last legislative session, you know, hey, you folks out there who aren't from Texas, our legislature meets every other year, and they, they meet from January to about late May. So during this past session, Uh, The state finally got a dedicated funding source for its coastal erosion planning and response program, basically our version of a shoreline management uh, program. And they're using hotel occupancy taxes, and it's damn good. It's not necessarily enough money, but it's fabulous to finally have a dedicated thing. And we talked to George P. about how that happened and what he hopes to do with the revenues that he's got at his disposal to face down the challenges on the Texas. That's a great interview. It really is. It's a great interview. And I think, you know, just a little additional context would be that, you know, we, we talked about Kelly Burks Copes and uh, Colonel Vale and this big federal stuff. Uh, he, uh, George P. Bush, is a partner with them. He kind of, in, right. in many respects, along with the, there's the, 
environmental quality uh, administration or whatever agency. Right. Uh, TCEQ, TCEQ is involved. Texas Parks and Wildlife is, but he's right. the lead sponsor on the on the coastal That's uh, projects right. that the Corps is, in, is is putting into place. Yeah, and so and you know the Corps is these projects are th- going to be perhaps the largest, most expensive projects in America. Uh, with regard to uh, coastal resiliency and protection, specifically, specifically this Houston shipping channel uh, project with the gates. And we've talked about this on previous shows. I won't go into it entirely, but understand that George P is a partner on this with the federal government. And he's trying to plan too, and trying to line up uh, funding and uh, he knows that he's going to have some big, big, big checks to write down the road here. And yep. we are speaking with him on the heels of what he considers to be a successful uh, legislative session. Uh, but there are still uh, questions out there and he's got more work to do. So it's it's yeah. a great interview. Well, it is. And I think for people around the United States, not just in Texas, because what we try to do is keep track of what's happening in Louisiana, what are they doing in Florida, what are they doing in the Carolinas. And look, all of the states are trying their best to sort this stuff out, and it's great to be informed, uh, even if you're not from Texas, about how things are being approached in each of the states. So it was great to sit down with George P. I want to thank him. He, he contacted us to be back on uh, ASPN. I really took that as a huge compliment. Uh, and and we're, we were really glad to bring him to the listeners one more time. All right. Well, with that, uh, we are pleased to bring you our interview with George P. Bush. We're at the William B. Travis Building in Austin, Texas, just a few blocks from the Texas Capitol, and have the pleasure to interview the Texas General Land Office Commissioner, George P. Bush. Uh, Commissioner Bush, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Good to be with you, and welcome to, uh, to the building. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner, I, I wanted to kick this off uh, kind of on a lighter note. We're going to be talking about uh, all the outstanding work you've been doing here uh, as the General Land Commissioner. Uh, but I did see on your Instagram account that you uh, went up to Kenny Bunkport, and I know it was a meaningful year this year, your trip, uh, in that your grandfather was not present, and you wrote in the post that it was the first time. It looks like you also caught a handsome striper. <laughs> Uh, tell us a little quickly about the about your trip up to Maine. How is the old Maine coast this summer? Well, beautiful as always. Um, that's what I love about it. And, um, you know, my wife and I and, and our boys, we love hiking. And up in Maine, there's excellent hiking opportunities. We found a, a new uh, app called um, All Trails, which I recommend to all of your listeners to check out. And gives you a chance to check out everything from national parks to state parks even to uh, nonprofit conservation groups that do a great job of setting aside acreage to allow tourists and locals alike to enjoy. And so um, a lot of folks think that up in Maine or in the Northeast during the summer you're supposed to be out on a boat, but there's so many ways to uh, enjoy the outdoors uh, onshore as well or along the coast. And uh, the amount of species up there also is um, it's pretty riveting to, to be able to, to see and for the boys to enjoy because they don't see a lot of them uh, here in Central Texas. So... Uh, we enjoyed it, but you, you touched upon probably my uh, most proud accomplishment, um, and that's pulling a 38-inch uh, striped bass out of the uh, cold blue ocean uh, of the Atlantic, <laughs> which was absolutely awesome. Um, he uh, was a tough fight, but we brought him in the boat. Beautiful fish. Uh, follow uh, George P. Bush on Instagram, everyone, and you'll <laughs> get beautiful uh, shots like that one. Uh, Commissioner, there's been a busy year at the Texas General Land Office, and for the listeners around the country who are not familiar with our legislative process, we just finished the biennium at the end of May. Uh, the Texas legislature meets every other year, uh, and uh, and there is a lot of important issues in front of the legislature related to coastal management. Uh, the Ch- The land office, for you folks around the country, is the lead coastal agency in the state of Texas, and Commissioner Bush had an agenda going into the legislative session. And uh, how did the Texas legislature treat the coast this year, Commissioner? Were you happy with the session? Well, I'm proud to report, Peter, this was a, a very successful session. And it starts really with our KEPRA program uh, and having a direct uh, account for funding beach uh, renourishment projects for conservation projects up and down the coast, all 367 miles from the Sabine Pass down to South Padre Island. 
when I first came into office in 2015, I will leave names unnamed, but uh, as you know, in the uh, backdoor deals of the legislature, I was assured that if we relinquished uh, the coastal rider direct uh, that directed close to $20 million from a, uh, a tax that was assessed on sporting goods in coastal areas of Texas, that uh, the legislature would make us whole through some sort of dedicated spending account to match this federal grant program. Um, regretfully, that commitment was not met. And so uh, since that time, and, and I understand my predecessors uh, dating back several decades have uh, sought to get a dedicated account, um, resulted in our effort, and I, I can't claim the credit, our staff really stepped up, uh, the coastal legislators, and in, in having a speaker also on the coast in Brazoria County helped significantly to help get this done. But this um, um, repurposing of hotel occupancy tax, uh, not increasing tax, but just keeping a higher percentage of that tax that's assessed in coastal areas of Texas to meet um, and to be governed by our agency to match uh, federal grant programs like KEPRA will go a long way for generations to come. And so we're excited uh, accomplishing that. Um, Sabina Galveston was a big part of, of our pitch, making sure that we're taking those first steps uh, to defend our coast structurally um, in our partnership with the Corps of Engineers. And so um, the Corps was pretty clear in, uh, in Washington, D.C. that if we did not get state funding or local funding uh, to meet the $4 billion uh, congressional appropriation after Hurricane Harvey, that the state of Texas would probably have to um, think about other ways to defend the coast. And so we made this a priority in working with the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker. We were successful in taking that first step by securing $200 million out of the rainy day fund. And so those would be the two top items that we were excited about, but a, a, lot, of, a lot of work ahead. Well, it is a it, it is a tremendous accomplishment uh, for folks outside of Texas. The coastal engineer, the uh, coastal erosion planning and response act, KEPRA, is the state statute which governs and funds uh, shoreline restoration and management projects in Texas. Uh, in the last twenty five years, I think the state has struggled to find that dedicated revenue source that you can count on and plan on commissioner and i do think this is a major accomplishment for the state of texas that at last we have a reliable uh, funding source for that program have you gotten any estimates from the legislative budget board about what that uh, new hotel occupancy tax redirection as you say not a tax increase but redirecting uh, hotel revenues uh, originating on the Texas coast. Do you have a sense of what that might produce for the land office? So I believe that the uh, the agreement is that anywhere between 16 and 20 million would be raised, um, and that that once that um, figure is hit, then there would be a reverter back to general revenue. Um, so that would essentially make the program whole based upon uh, at least the first two legislative sessions um, that I was hearing, as you alluded to at the outset. You know, we budget on a biannual basis, in which right. case uh, we're just taking the, the last four years of data and um, and meeting that. Um, but also, you know, working with um, other potential streams of revenue. So a little known fact is now Texas ports are exporting more oil uh, than any other port system in the country. Indeed. And so we assess, our agency assesses a one cent tax um, on any import of oil, but now we're working with the controller's office on assessing uh, that fee on any export of oil because the, the, the actual language from decades ago did not contemplate exports as well. Interesting. And so the, this, this program actually funds all of our oil spill response teams. So a little known fact about our agency is we manage five immediate response teams. So BP Deepwater Horizon or Texas, uh, Texas City Spill, uh, anything that occurs up and down the coast, we are, are usually the first responders with the Coast Guard, but maybe there's a way in which we can utilize uh, this pool of capital to assess with uh, other beach and coastal wow. programs as well. It's fantastic uh, to see that. Yeah, the land office is the lead coastal uh, agency, but also the lead oil spill response agency. So the agency is uh, neck deep in the <laughs> Texas coast. Uh and, uh, yeah, the United States, number one oil and gas producing country in the world now. And I think Texas is the largest oil and gas exporter in the United States. So it's great to see that that revenue can help the Texas coast as well. And uh, the, the, what I think is fantastic about what you've been able to do in your tenure at the land office is really to get this coastal 
of Resiliency Master Plan completed and adopted. This is the framework for the future of the Texas coast. Uh, I think it's one of the best plans in the country. I know the folks over in Louisiana love the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority Master Plan, but I think Texas has done a great job with this. Uh, do you feel comfortable that you're finally starting to get the financial foundation in place to execute this strategy that you've put in place? I think we're getting closer. You know, with the, um, again, the, with the assistance of the legislature, we were able to fund the study. I, I came to them in 2015 stating this is a, a an immediate threat to uh, the people of Texas. When you look at, and again, I'm a Fort Worthian, um, and so not as fluent on coastal issues, but part of this requires selling uh, I call them Highlander legislators, folks from at, from the High Plains, from West Texas, right. from our urban centers, to know that at least one of three Texans resides in a coastal zone, um, and arguably the third, if not the fourth, most populated metropolitan area of our country, is uh, yeah. right there in Houston. Um, so, working on a holistic plan to defend uh, against storm surge from inland flooding, uh, but also protecting our environment, finding that balance between natural resource development our refinery, our petrochemical complexes, and the environment so that future generations can recreate and enjoy. Uh, it's a challenging task, but that's what this plan takes on. Um, and so I think part of our efforts early on as well in working with the Obama administration and now with the Trump administration to continue that plan, keeping this as a priority for uh, the regional uh, administrator that works under the Corps of Engineers uh, is, is a priority of ours. So uh, we'll continue working, but the good news is the state of Texas is making that commitment. The federal government has already appropriated those dollars. We're well on our way to meeting all the milestones. We, I think we've, we are viewed as an honest broker between the people of Texas and uh, the federal agency um, to ask for uh, changes to the plan that have been more palatable to the public. So we will have a second round of public feedback as part of this process, which uh, we initially asked for. And that's going to be a big part of uh, taking those next steps so that by 2021, we can then come to the Congress and say, okay, we need to, we need to fund this. And we need to, yeah, go into the construction phase. And we're talking about this important relationship with the, with the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in the Galveston District. Uh, we have a new colonel coming in, I guess has already arrived, I guess arrived in Colonel Vale. Uh, Tim Vale. Uh, who is a Texan, I understand, is an Aggie, and uh, I think he's from Spring, Texas, so it's great to have a, a, uh, a, uh, a colonel who knows the Texas coast. And uh, th this project that they're putting together, the Coastal Protection Restoration Project, that includes this investment, this substantial investment in uh, the Galveston Bay System and the protection of, of Houston, are you pretty happy with the Corps' responsiveness to the concerns that you've raised about their strategy? Uh, are you feeling comfortable with this with the plan so far? A absolutely. You know, uh, we, we've learned a lot in interacting with the public, bringing their public feedback, whether it is our response to Harvey and how we manage north of $10 billion to spend uh, for single family, for multifamily here in Texas. And we just felt that it was important to engage the public in this process earlier and often and the general land office being an, an honest broker in the process. So we came to the public in working with Galveston Chamber, other chambers up and down the coast, with other key community stakeholders, and, and brought that behind the scenes to uh, the Corps of Engineers. And, and they responded to all five of our priorities, which included having a second round of commentary, because a lot of constituents said we just didn't have time to break away from our, our lives, from sending our kids to school, and, um, and finding the time to budget to be able to participate and to comment on the initial design as it looked. We even had constituents that thought that um, that we were ready to construct, that we were going to break right. ground and and, yeah. and get started. And so it, it informed us early on that we needed to inform the Corps that, hey, let's let's take a step back. Let's label every single document that's put out to say draft on it. Something Absolutely. as simple as that. Yeah. And, and that made a world of difference. And so I just think that uh, when you look at their responsiveness to the, the comments that we have made, um, and we've collaborated with the Corps in a variety of other uh, necessary projects up and down the coast that they have been honest stewards. I look forward to visiting with the Colonel. I have not uh, yet. We are scheduled to meet uh, sometime this fall, um, and we welcome them to the, uh, to the office. We had a great relationship. We'll continue to do that. Well, they're such an important player, and I do think that the, uh, what we can see in watching the Corps' evolution of the plan 
particularly the shift toward beach restoration and dune restoration on Bolivar Peninsula as opposed to a sort of a mid-island berm. Uh, I think that's an incredibly strong uh, shift, and I think the land office was a big part of getting that that change in the plan. Uh, it, I, I think it's the right investment for the coast. Uh, it'll improve the beaches there, of course, and provide a level of protection to that vulnerable uh, peninsula down on the Texas coast. So it's good to see that plan taking shape. Uh, and I think the land office and, and the public down there has done, done a great job in working with the Corps of Engineers. Uh, Commissioner, on, on one of the things that we're starting to hear about now is the Restore Act. And I think for the Gulf states folks out there along the uh, Gulf of Mexico, they're familiar with the Restore Act, which provided a lot of funding through the, uh, the BP oil spill, the Deepwater Horizon spill. Uh, there's a new bucket opening up called Bucket 2. This is the council spending priority. Uh, I understand Texas is, is pre preparing to send your projects into the council. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about Restore and, and your relationship with the Gulf Council? Uh, are you optimistic about how that process is going to go? Absolutely. This is, um, you know, really a, a little known fact among legislators and uh, and the broader public in Texas, honestly. And so when I visit on coastal issues, I always remind people that the Restore Act uh, is a benefit for the state and uh, allows us to plan uh, long term. We can leverage these dollars as matching uh, dollars for vital community projects that are presented to us uh, as a member of the council. Uh, I have to recuse myself from any general land office presented project. Um, and so we have some great ideas on the table uh, from beach renourishment to conservation projects, wetland mitigation, looking at organic ways to stem against the, the uh, tide of storm surge and what it could mean for uh, future events along our coast. And so um, I'm excited about uh, the leadership that TCQ has provided, Parks and Wildlife. Uh, I have not had a chance to attend a lot of the, the Gulf Coast uh, organizational meetings. I, I get briefs from staff on it and try to stay on top of it. Um, I've tried to work with the, our research institutes. I think that's more of a value add that I can play is informing uh, the University of Texas of the world, the A&M campuses that have an opportunity to educate our future um, students and prof coastal professionals on what these dollars can mean for research to mitigate the um, the effects of what an oil spill can mean. Um, so look, I'm, I am the most pro-energy uh, development um, public leader you will find since we manage 13 million acres, but this agency also has an environmental responsibility. And so the Restore Act um, means so much from a research development standpoint for immediate uh, capital needs for vital projects up and down our coast, which can make the Texas coast really the envy of the rest of the nation. Fantastic. Agree with that. And, you know, I and it is a, a vast pool of money, It's a, and it is convoluted, so I'm not surprised that you have a hard time explaining it. It's a hard time. We spent, I don't know, months reading through all those documents trying to figure it out. But one of the things I want to circle back to, and this is kind of a higher level thought, but uh, one of the things that you have done in your leadership uh, as the land commissioner is uh, institute a degree of central control over the, over the planning process. And, um, you know, you're a proud conservative. I know that you believe in the benefits of local control and local decision making. And when you're talking about this coastwide study and going back, putting draft on it, allowing, you know, keep those local uh, stakeholders churning and projects bubbling up. I'm curious to know how you're balancing the need to financially plan, you know, years out, 10 years, 20 years out. You've got these massive uh, infrastructure projects, around, you know, around oil and gas and shipping um, that need long-term investment, but also new ideas are popping up and the the state of the art of engineering is changing. So what's your uh, kind of leadership style there in balancing those things? Well, I think uh, first things first is learning. So, you know, after Harvey, uh, I can't tell you how many constituent questions we received in relation to Corps of Engineers, infrastructure or mitigation related funding. They will they were appropriated after Harvey north of $16 billion. And so a lot of constituents said, Gila, why aren't you working on mitigation dollars and build build the barrier, build the wall uh, along the Houston Ship Channel? Or why aren't you mitigating flood relief off the Brazos River? And we would have to explain that we are not the state sponsor uh, as deemed by uh, the governor or by the legislature. Um, we are the state sponsor in terms of HUD relief, and we would explain those potential infrastructure dollars. But 
understanding what lo other local sponsors are going to do with this historic amount of money in response to Harvey as it relates to their priorities is is important. So it's it's an emerging uh, leadership style. It's really dependent on what the communities want um, and not necessarily based upon municipal or county lines. I think it's easy for us. So mm -hmm. taking a step back on the $10 billion, um, half of that will be for infrastructure dollars. But we have been now directed by Congress to direct those dollars over the course of 120 counties. So how do we deal with Harris County that uh, has a population north of 8 million people who want half of that appropriation but yet distribute this to the rest of the state? It's, it's a very difficult task. You can't base it just upon political jurisdiction. So I think getting to the core of what constituents want and need, uh, visiting with uh, community stakeholders that don't, define success based upon a two-year or four-year increment on a political ballot, which unfortunately as politicians we uh, tend to do, but talk with people that have a vested interest in the future of the community, I tend to find will we'll provide better advice. So um, when you're looking at core projects, when you're looking at um, Texas Coastal, um, the master plan, yes, we're looking generally, generationally. Um, and, you know, it's frustrating at times because constituents want to see a project like right now but when you look at the growth of this state and, and planning for the long term, we're going to get to a better solution when we think long term. It's very interesting. And I think our national audience, uh, people from all over the country that um, are uh, in various positions of uh, power and leadership um, and are tr trying to solve the same problems that you are, uh, I think would agree with that exactly. There's You have to constantly be ingesting information and never just a strict orthodox observer of any plan. Um, I forget which general said that, you know, a plan lasts until first you first make contact with the enemy and then you throw it out the door and you got to really, uh, you know, kind of reinvent on the, on the fly. And I think there's a lot of truth to that in coastal planning. It's such a dynamic place. But the other thing that you're talking about, and I'd love to hear maybe your advice to our audience, is uh, educating um, other elected officials who are from... Uh, jurisdictions or districts that are smaller and you you as the state lead and the coastal lead do not see those lines you see a whole coast that's vulnerable um, how do you how do you approach that conversation with I don't know a legislator from some little piece of the coast well I I, I tend to focus on their respective uh, committee and so you know a lot of coastal legislators naturally are going to be stronger advocates for coastal necessities but Many committee chairs, Democrat or Republican, as we saw in the House, there uh, there are a vast amount of Democrats that are that are holding gavels. That I spend time informing them of what it means for transportation, what it means for uh, oil and gas or natural resources for our state um, or state affairs. Um, and so, looking at it from that perspective, from an economic development standpoint, and legislators, I think they tend to look. They, they will. Um, they will act in the interest of their district in certain cases, but oftentimes when they're thinking in terms of their role in their committee, they're thinking statewide as well. And so um, so I think my job is to provide the information statewide, um, and I think legislators during their session, the serious ones, uh, will, will think broader. And so um, that is what benefited the general land office this legislative session. It helped that Hurricane Harvey was uh, – pretty much at the center uh, of the discussion outside of property tax. And so that gave us a chance to present more of a coastal perspective because legislators throughout the state, it didn't matter what part of the state where they were from, they knew that we needed to do a better job. And so um, that gave us an opportunity to be an advocate with the coastal legislators. Again, going back to the speaker, that helped significantly. You know, some would even say during the session, this is the first time in Texas state history that you've had the big three from a coastal area. So mm -hmm. governor, you know, from Houston, <coughs> lieutenant governor, greater Houston area, and the speaker from Brazoria County who knows the coast, coastal issues backwards and forwards, that was a, a, a tremendous benefit and really didn't look at party affiliation, just focused on what we need to do a better job of. Well, it clearly yielded significant results for the state of Texas and for the coastal programs in the state. So. In addition to managing all of the, you know, the intergovernmental relationships that we're talking about, the administration of these very difficult programs and financing and all of this stuff, uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, there's been some very good projects moving forward that are going to happen. The largest beach restoration project in the history of the state will be kicking off soon at the McFadden Beach Restoration Project over in 
in uh, Jefferson County in the northern part of the uh, Texas coast. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, I think, what it is, an $87 million shoreline management project, uh, primarily beach restoration, uh, over 20 miles. Uh, Commissioner, that was a lot of work to put that project together. Can you give us a little inside scoop on how that happened? So McFadden Beach, uh, ironically, I've had a chance to review via copter after the first three miles of the 20-mile shoreline restoration was complete. And um, that uh, that tour was with Judge Brannick, uh, who's the county judge of Jefferson County, and they provided a significant amount of capital as part of this, so they deserve a round of applause as well. That tour was a week before Hurricane Harvey wow made landfall jeez and what i've been told by judge if judge were here he would say that it helped stem um storm surge and this project yes it'll allow recreators and folks from around the world to enjoy the biodiversity of the texas coastline but it also has an added benefit of tremendous storm surge that could impact the port of beaumont uh, port arthur one of our most populated areas of of the state not to mention we're a tremendous um uh energy is being refined in fact the lar- world's largest refinery is, is not more than 20 miles as the f- as the crow flies just north of that location so mcfadden beach um, will be the largest beach restoration project in state history as you mentioned and uh, something that i'm very excited and would be an example of how restore act can be beneficial uh kepra also will be part of the capital stack uh, as well and again going back to your question in terms of finding that balance i think it's, it's important to visit with community leadership as to how they deem um, economic development and a priority on that side, but also working with them for environmental protection. And as you'll see south of the Sabine Pass, that has an incredible opportunity for us to preserve and protect, um, but to also provide uh, biodiversity to proliferate in, in that area of the state where, honestly, a lot of Texans and being a Houstonian, not a lot of folks understand uh, what is available to recreate and enjoy right there. So I'm, I'm excited about that um, and also what occurs just even further up in the ship channel in terms of protecting uh, species, finding that balance between state land ownership um, and what the city and the port navigation systems control as well. So, yeah. But McFadden Beach is going to be awesome. That is a great project and unusual around the country, folks out there. This is not a developed shoreline. What we're talking about here is a significant investment in shoreline management to protect the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway, as you mentioned, and the petrochemical industry, but also the McFadden National Wildlife Refuge. And so this is one of those unique projects that has infrastructure, industry benefit, and incredible environmental benefits. I know it's been decades in the way to get this project off the ground and a great accomplishment by the land office and your federal and local partners to pull that together. Uh, I know we've got to wrap up pretty quick, but I was one other thing I wanted to uh, touch base on, and that is the Cameron County Erosion Response Plan. The All the way on the other side of the state. We're <laughs> yeah. way down way south. Let's go to the other side. We're going down to the end, down to the Mexican border. Uh, but the uh, land office is responsible for these long-term local erosion response planning oversight. Cameron County has finally come to the table with a great plan, I understand. I, what I hear is that that plan will be adopted and certified by the end of this month. Uh, can you shed some light on that process, and uh, are you happy with the outcome on the Cameron County ERP? So to your listeners who uh, may not have been to uh, South Padre, uh, if you have a chance to go, it, it's really uh, powerful to drive north along the boulevard. And you see the end, basically, of the city uh, development and essentially the city line. And then you keep on driving as you get to northern Padre Island and the road being inundated by erosion. And I remember doing it the first time, not necessarily as a private citizen, but as land commissioner with uh, the then county judge. And he explained very quickly that we need to get this ERP done uh, as soon as possible. It needs to be approved by the state of Texas, namely your agency, uh, because it'll allow for the county to work with the city to allow for more development. And, and it might sound counterintuitive, but to have more responsible residential development along uh, the highway as you get closer to the national protected areas um, to prevent erosion, because then the state can be involved in beach renourishment and erosion mitigation, which South Padre itself, the city, has perfected in working with the Corps of Engineers to use beneficial dredge material 
to pack probably the most visited beach in the entire state of Texas, if not one of the most in the entire Gulf Coast that we're constantly fighting with our friends over in Florida. Sure. Um, this is um, essential, I think, for the future of the county. When you look at uh, appropriations that have been made from, from Congress for a second highway to connect northern portions of South Padre Island, for future economic development opportunities as retirees continue to come down to Texas for a variety of reasons, this plan uh, is essential, and we're glad to finally get this done. We've worked uh, tirelessly behind the scenes to, to be almost a tactical counselor to help get the relevant paperwork done to get this uh, plan through. I know there's been a lot of political changes in Cameron County. I think since my time, uh, we are now in our third uh, county judge uh, in Cameron County. But it's an essential part of uh, the state with what's going on with SpaceX, with right. now LNG exporting the Brownsville port, uh, being a naval ship shipyard um, 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 specialist as well. So just a lot of things going on in South Padre with uh, UTRGV providing a new opportunity for the future of uh, the Rio Grande Valley. So a lot of folks talk about the border, the other wall <laughs> right. yeah. down there, but but so much, so many positive things are happening right there. And in large part, the ERP is going to be a big part of, uh, of, of that success story. Well, it, I, I think you're right about that. It's one of the most challenging parts of the Texas coast. I, what I'm hearing on the street is it's the most progressive erosion response plan adopted by a local government so far in the state. And it'll be interesting to see how that's developed in partnership and implemented in partnership with, with the land office and also the federal partnerships for uh, shoreline restoration and management down in South Padre. So, uh, Commissioner, I know you're busy and your staff is making sure that we understand the time limit. So I want to thank you for being on the American Shoreline podcast and giving us a chance to hear from you on the update of the great work that you're doing at the land office. And uh, any closing thoughts? No, I would just say that as we talk about uh, the Texas Coastal Master Plan, to, I remind my friends in South Texas that there is uh, environmental protection plans that also call for enhancing beach restoration and wetland mitigation um, further north up from, from the island itself. Um, not to mention the, um, the Bahia Grande, which happens to be, uh, from, a, from an aviary standpoint, one of the most diverse areas uh, of the world, uh, it has been said. More species actually fly through that, that area. So um, what a beautiful part of the state. When people ask what's the most beautiful part, um, I, I, I like to say Transpecas, but, but the Bahia Grande, um, just right there, uh, just south of South Padre, uh, as you come out of the port of Brownsville on the Mexican border, it's, yeah, it's a sight to behold. It really is Truly. a part of the Texas coast. Well, uh, Commissioner George P. Bush, ladies and gentlemen, at the General Land Office in Texas, thank you very much, Commissioner, for taking time to update us on the American Shoreline Podcast. Going too far, never coming back again.